Hey, good morning, FCF. We're continuing in our series called Presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T. I misspelled it last week, or Presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. And what my theory is in this series is this, is that I think that human beings, we go through our entire lives seeking for something to fulfill us, something to make us happy, something to inspire us. And we look for it in persons, places, and things, experiences. So I'm going to use that as analogous to presents under a Christmas tree since we're in that season. We, we look for these presents. We hope they're going to bring us that, that missing something. But what in fact we are actually seeking is presence, the presence of our Creator, and nothing else, nothing else can fulfill the deepest longings of the human heart except to live in the presence of our Creator all the time and to live from His presence and that our life is derived from, from a union of hearts, a union of minds, a union of feelings, a union of goals, a union of wills with, with our Creator. It's, it's a presence, His presence, Christ's presence, that even the most atheistic human being is looking for in presence, those presence as persons, places, and things, and experiences. So, with that in mind, we're going to talk today about one thing that we seek as human beings universally, and it's inspiration. Inspiration wanted. Now, now, what do I mean by inspiration? Because it sounds kind of a churchy or spiritual term. Well, inspiration is something we're all more or less familiar with. Um, to be inspired means that I'm, I'm kind of filled with positive energy. I'm kind of filled with enthusiasm. I'm motivated. I'm excited. I'm driven in a good sort of a way. I have a kind of a positive energy in me that's going to enable me to reach my potential and even go on past my potential. Um, to be inspired means that, that I can push myself beyond what my natural abilities are. I can endure. I can problem solve. I can do whatever I need to do to reach a certain goal. And we all know what this is like. We all experience inspiration in various ways. For example, um, we might have as a goal, some kind of a goal in life. You know, the goal might be to learn a new skill. And while we're in that serendipitous journey, it's kind of exciting. It's kind of motivating. It's, it's inspiring. When we accomplish it, well, then usually we try to find something else. Maybe it's a certain degree. Maybe it's a certain skill. Maybe it's a certain job position. Maybe it's a relationship. Uh, everybody can probably remember back when they were in pursuit of who is now their spouse, you know, how inspired they were, you know, and that, that energy is, is a remarkable thing. So, we all kind of know what inspiration is, but today I want to differentiate between something that I'm going to call temporal inspiration and eternal or spiritual inspiration. They differ greatly. They, they can look and feel the same for a short time, but the difference is remarkable. I'm going to call the temporal kind of like a knockoff inspiration. It's kind of like a counterfeit inspiration. It looks like, feels like the real thing, but it turns out not to be. In fact, we get a good illustration of this. Uh, Olympians, we're all familiar with the rigors that the Olympians go through. You take a gymnast. Gymnasts are uh, usually six out of seven days in the gym working out six to seven hours a day. And this kind of a routine goes on from the time they're little bitty kids until they compete. Typically, it's 12, 15 years of this, this tremendous drive. Now, 
look this up on your own sometime, but, but look at Olympian letdown or Olympian depression. And what happens is this, after they devote this enormous amount of time of their lives to reaching a certain goal, once they've reached it or come to as far as they're going to go, it's not unusual at all. They have a tremendous letdown. That shows the inherent weakness in what I'm calling temporal inspiration. It's human level inspiration. It's what you and I can accomplish. And it's very different from the kind of inspiration that we really want. And that inspiration we really want, it can only come from the presence, the ongoing presence, heart union with our Creator. Now I want to take you to a portion of Scripture today in the Gospel of John. This is in Jesus' third year of His three and a half year ministry. And I'm going to start you reading in verse 20, uh, 25, but I'm going to give you a little background. This takes place right after Jesus has uh, miraculously fed 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children it was with just a, you know, a few loaves and, and a few small fish. So he's, he's supernaturally multiplied loaves and fish, fed 5,000 people. Jesus has since come across to the other side of the lake, walking on the water at night. You can read about that earlier in John 6. But the people wake up and they, they want to find Jesus. They, they had this miraculous experience. They were fed a dandy meal. And so they go looking for Jesus. Let's pick up reading now in chapter 6, verse 25. It says, When they found Him on the other side of the lake, they asked Him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you, now this is, this is important, focus in. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him God the Father has placed His seal. Now, let me just pause there. Jesus raises an issue that it is possible for us as human beings to seek Jesus but to seek Him for the wrong reasons. Jesus said to these people that were seeking Him, that you're seeking Me not because you saw miraculous signs, which were meant to be the basis of uh, proving that He was the Messiah, the true Savior of the world, the one that could bring uh, salvation for the ills and the things that plague us. Jesus says, you, you weren't seeking Me for Myself as the Savior of the world. You were seeking Me because you liked the meal. <laughs> you ate the bread and you're coming back for another meal. You and I meet people all the time, knowingly or unknowingly, that seek Jesus for the wrong reasons. And when you seek Jesus for the wrong reason, you won't find the real Jesus. So he tries to turn their attention in a proper way. Verse 27, one more time, he says, Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Notice he, he offers it freely. On Him God the Father has placed His seal. They respond. Then they ask Him, What must we do to do the works of God, or to do the work, the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one He sent. Now, I'm going to pause there. That word believe, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and that word believe, every time you see it, or nearly every time, it is one Greek word. It's pistis or pistuo. 
that same word, it doesn't mean just believe, it means faith, confidence, reliance. My chosen word is trust because it captures the meaning the best. In fact, if you go to the complete Jewish Bible, they always translate pistuo or pistis as trust, not believe, uh, but as trust. So let's see how different this verse sounds when you read it that very way. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to trust in the one he sent. So he tells them, what is it? They, they essentially say, what is it that God wants of us? What is it that God requires? Jesus says, this is it. He just wants you to trust in me. Jesus was the fullness of God now revealed after ages, 1,500 years of progressive revelation starting with the nation of Israel through the Old Testament. Now God is on earth in the person of Jesus. And what he is saying is that all God wants is to win back the trust of humanity. The trust of humanity was destroyed in the Garden of Eden when Satan slandered the character of God, deceived Adam and Eve, caused every human generation since to be afraid of God. We run away from God, not toward God. We fear that he just wants to control us. We fear that he's holding back from us. We think we're gonna have a better life, a happier life, doing things our way, and God has worked to destroy that slander, to pull it down, to win back our trust. God simply wants us to return to Him as those that, are, uh, as those that trust Him. It's, it's the only relationship that a finite being can have with an infinite being is one of trust. The, the infinite being must of necessity always lead. He is um, always you know, in the best position to know what is best, to want what is best and we are in a position to learn. So trust is the natural relationship between created and creator. So they try to get Jesus still back on the bread track. Verse 30, so they ask him, what miraculous sign will you, will you give that we may see it and trust or believe? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am, and here's the, the key passage really, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me there's that Greek word, he who trusts in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe or still do not trust. So let me pause there. Here Jesus declares, he, he said, what bread does for your body to the satisfaction of your belly, to the energizing of your body, I will do for your soul, for your spirit. He said, I am the bread of life. And how do we partake of him? It's by trusting in him. He's, he's emphasized this in verse 29. Well, what is it that God requires? Just to trust, trust in Jesus, the fullness of God, God is, as he really is revealed. Here Jesus repeats it again. If we want to have the, the spiritual bread that gives life, that gives energy, that gives inspiration, inspirational energy to our soul, to our spirit, well, then we have to trust in Jesus. The conversation goes on from here. It says, um, well, well, let me actually read you one more verse, verse 40. He, Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son 
and believes in him, there's that word again, pistis, but you would trust in him, everyone who looks to the Son and trusts in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble against him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, uh, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Now, I'm going to pause there, and let's try to pick up on this passage on a little deeper level. They were, they were seeking too little from Jesus. I want to suggest that many people come to Jesus seeking too little. Many people come to Jesus that, that have what I call a settler's mentality. Here's what I mean by a settler's mentality. We are haunted by the life that humans once had in Eden, the life that Adam and Eve had with God in Eden before they broke trust with God. We are haunted by that, a perfect environment, perfect relationship with our Creator face-to-face, -face, perfect relationship with one another, um, beautiful relationship with animals, uh, an environment where there was nothing to be afraid of. Fear did not exist. Guilt did not exist. Shame did not exist. Um, no danger, no fear of accidents, no, no fear of death even. As long as they stayed away from the one tree that God had forbidden for, forbidden for them, they were completely safe. We still ache for that existence, that perfect existence. We pursue that existence to the best of our ability through our whole life, but we know we know that mankind is incapable of bringing it back. So we're haunted by Eden, and we're somewhat tormented by Eden. And to get rid of the torment, since we want something that we know humanity, we as human beings can't produce, we want a perfect existence with no more sickness, sorrow, pain, death, no more fear, no more guilt, no more shame, no more hatred, no more cruelty. We want it, but we know we can't produce it. So we become settlers. And we become settlers because we, we can't live with the torment. Why keep dreaming of something that you know you can't possess or that no human being can bring forth? So by settlers, I mean we, we start saying, well, this is the best we can have. Since we're haunted by this desire for a good life, the best life, the perfect life, but we can't have it, let's just make the best of what we have. And so we start settling. These bread seekers were the classic uh, example of a settler. They had given up. Jesus wants them to think about eternal life. Jesus wants to think about, uh, get them to think about Eden once again, the, the uh, eternal Eden of God's personal heaven. But all they can think about is another meal. They're, they're like, okay, well, what can we do to talk this guy in to giving us another meal? They, they are the classic settlers. One of the problems with the settler's mentality is that we become very selective in our hearing. It's not an unusual thing to see settlers become very angry at God. Settlers have given up on the, the eternal life and the eternally perfect kingdom life that God promises eventually. We want something now. We become so fixated on, on God fixing something in our life that we don't like now. We maybe want Him to heal something, or we want Him to help us financially, or we want Him to help us relationally, or whatever it might be. We become selective in our hearing, and all we want to hear Jesus talk about is, what is He going to do for me now in this problem that I have, or this dream that I want to pursue, or this ambition? And this becomes kind of a, a self-destructive sort of, of an attitude that we seek. The problem with with a settler's mentality is the inspiration that we're seeking, it's temporal insulation, inspiration, 
And by nature, temporal inspiration is temporary. Think of those Olympians again. They have this wonderful inspiration that drives them 10, 12, 14 years, six and seven hours a day, six days a week. But then when they hit the goal or the end of their career, they collapse, they become lethargic, they become bored, they become discouraged, they become depressed, they become skeptical, they become vulnerable to all sorts of things. Temporal energy, the problem with, or excuse me, with temporal inspiration is it brings no lasting satisfaction or enthusiasm. It can't. We have to jump from one goal to the next. And settlers get fixated, even with Jesus. We only want Jesus to do this for us, to fix this. And Jesus wants to expand our horizons and get us thinking about life in its fullness that will come when His kingdom in its fullness comes. The settler's mentality has no lasting satisfaction and enthusiasm. The settler's mentality has no lasting healthy development or no, no capacity for personal healthy character development or to produce personal healthy character development or to move you and I to achievements that will have eternal value. It just doesn't. Our achievements are all temporal. You know, I, I want to I get that house. I want to get that position at work. I want to have this person in my life. I, I want various temporal goals. I'm inspired while I'm in pursuit. There's that separate serendipitous uh, you know, experience while we're in pursuit. But then once we find it, we quickly have to find a new goal, a new ambition, a new pursuit. And when we come to Jesus with this kind of a frame of mind and we, we try to bottleneck Him into our one thing that we want, you make my dream come true. You fix my problem, Jesus. Jesus, we want bread today. That's all we want of you. Don't, don't, don't talk to us about eternal life. We know you. We know your family. You're talking about coming down from heaven and feeding us. You know, we just want real bread. We know you can at least give us that. We unnecessarily limit what Jesus wants to give to us because of our own temporal frame of mind and our own settler's frame of mind. Listen to a few, uh, excuse me, let, let me share with you a quote from C.S. Lewis, and then I want to share a few verses with you. C.S. Lewis, tremendous Christian writer of, of uh, some years going back, he writes this. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Let, let that sink in. Christ was trying to tell these people, you're, you're too easily pleased. You just want a meal, and, and I want to give you something that will bring everlasting inspiration into your life, that you will be positively energized. You will have enthusiasm that you will carry with you in any and every circumstance for the rest of your life. And that's what Jesus wanted to give them, and it would move them right into eternity. But they wanted a temporal fix for the one thing that had fastened onto their attention. Let me read a few verses that urge us to do uh, quite otherwise in the New Testament. In the book of Colossians, excuse me, um, in, yeah, in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, Since you have been raised, it's talking to those that have put their trust in Christ and become his followers. It says, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven 
not things of earth. Jesus was trying to get them to think about things of heaven because that's how he becomes that bread of life in us that brings endless inspiration through all the seasons of life. We need to be those that think about the eternal things. In Ephesians 1.3, it says, Praise God, um, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the spiritual blessings that Christ has brought us from heaven. Christ offers spiritual blessings to us now as we learn to take Him as our bread of heaven. And those, those spiritual blessings are really what change the quality of a person's life. It's not the presence, the external things that we seek. It's His presence that gives us peace and that gives us joy and that gives us clarity, that gives us certainty, that puts us on a path that leads to life. 2 Corinthians 4.18 urges the same kind of thought. It says, Things that are seen don't last forever, but things that are not seen are eternal. That's why we keep our minds on the things that we cannot see. So, seeking too little from Jesus was the problem these people had. And i got got to wonder, is it possible that some of us, we have limited Jesus because we're seeking too little from Him? He wants to give us something big and expansive. He wants to be an everlasting inspirational presence from the, the midst of our hearts. And we're trying to just get Him to fix something. And perhaps we're even angry that He's not giving us the particular answer we want on something. The next thing we find is that these people, they sought too little from Jesus, but they found more than enough in Jesus. I want to pick the conversation up where they were grumbling about they knew Jesus, you know, parents, so how could he say that he came down from heaven? Verse 43, Jesus says, Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. And then he goes on later on. He says, I am, in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread, excuse me, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. This term, eat or eats, it just keeps repeating itself. It's, it's over ten times in the next few verses. Then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Again, they're thinking in very temporal uh, terms. Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood I, ha, excuse me, has, present tense, eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I am him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me, notice continuous action, and feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds, notice continuous action again, on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, Many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven where he was before? The Spirit, now, now Jesus is going to make a very important point here. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. 
Yet there are some of you here who do not believe, there's that word, who do not trust. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not trust and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So this is a big juncture in the ministry of Jesus. Again, it's about three years into his three and a half year ministry. So they come seeking too little from Jesus, but they end up finding what was more than enough. He kept offering himself to them. Now, Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms. That's why he said the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. He's talking about pure thought. Spirit is pure thought. And he's using as an analogy what we do when we eat. Okay, so we, we eat physical bread so that it gives us energy and it gives us physical development. It builds, you know, new, new cells. Now I'm going to go through, uh, well, I'm going to make a statement for, with you first because Jesus told us right in the beginning what he's talking about is a simple trust union with himself. When a person comes to trust him and unite with him, that's what it means to eat him as the bread of life and to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's not talking about communion. It's not talking about transubstantiation, none of those things. So here's, here's a statement I want you to have um, fixed in your heart and in your mind. Trust initiates an unending, dynamic, inspirational, transformational union with Christ. I'm going to read it again. Trust initiates, or it starts, in unending, it's, it's the start, but it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing, it goes through it onto eternity. Trust initiates an unending, dynamic, inspirational, transformational union with Christ. That's what Jesus was talking about when he kept saying, feeding on him, feeding on the bread of life. We enter into the relationship when we first trust in him, but then we re receive inspiration from him continuously as we unite more and more with him. We, we let his word enter into us and we enter into union with him, with his will. I'm going to take the terms of real food and kind of apply it spiritually because I think it might be helpful. So, so we all know about eating. So let's, let's look at some steps, some typical steps in eating. Okay, so first of all, there's what I'm going to call attraction. There's certain foods that you just hate and you would not eat no matter what, unless you were maybe starving. So there's attraction. We find something we like and then we eat it. So that's, that's the next step. That's what we'll call ingestion with, with food. We find something we like, then we ingest it. You know, we chew it up. Uh, we, we then swallow it down. Now, ingestion then leads to digestion. That, that's where all the magic happens, okay? Once the food is gone, it's invisible to us, magical things start to happen. For the next 36, sometimes 48 hours, I used to think that when you ate something in six to eight hours, it, it was, you know, through your system. That's not true. It takes about six to eight hours just to get into the stomach. And then it's like another 36 hours in the intestines and colon and, and all that kind of thing. I'm not trying to gross anybody out. But the truth is, it, it's quite a long process. In fact, in some, some of us, it can be two to five days. In other words, let me, let me make you clear on this. You eat your dinner, and it may take two to five days before it's no longer in you, shall we say. So during that time, magical, invisible things are happening. You know, so, so you have attraction, then you have ingestion, that's chewing your food up, eating it, then you have digestion, then you have the, the ultimate magical step, absorption. This is when 
the, the gastric juices and all kinds of other fluids in your body are you know, working inside there and they are breaking that food down, breaking it down, breaking it down, smaller and smaller components until it enters our bloodstream and from there it produces in us energy, physical energy, and it's building cells. It's literally constructing us. So this is the process physically when we take in, let's say, bread. So again, you have attraction, you have ingestion, you have digestion, and then you have absorption. Absorption is when it becomes energy in our bodies and it builds new cells. It literally changes us. It's transformational at that point. Jesus was saying he's the bread of life that we need to partake of spiritually. So what would this look like spiritually? Same principles. It's when we are exposed to Jesus or when we hear the Word of God, does it resonate with us? Do, are we attracted to it? Are we attracted to Him? These people wanted bread from Jesus, but they didn't really want Jesus. That's why He said, you, you're not seeking Me because of the miraculous signs. You're, you're, you're seeking bread. So the first step with us too is attraction. When God reveals Himself to us through His Word, does it stir us? Are we interested? Are we attracted to it? Okay, so then the next step is what? ingestion. For us that would be that we take God's Word in and we start thinking about it and then digestion. We, we start to stir it around in our minds and we seek a proper interpretation and then we seek an application and, and we try to meditate on it and look at different ways it might apply in our life. It, it starts to fill our minds and we're thinking about it and we're wondering should I change this because of what God says in His Word. So that, that's that digestion part. And then finally it gets to, to the absorption part. It's, it's where now God's Word, God's will, uh, it's fused with our, our will, and now we want and intend to fully live the exact way that God's Word and the way that Jesus Himself would live. In other words, now because I've absorbed God's Word, it's now creating inspirational energy in me and it's transforming me, it's changing me. Just like physical bread, it brings physical energy and new cell life, it literally transforms my physicality. Now the spiritual life from the Word of God, it's transforming me, it's energizing me, inspiring me, filling me with enthusiasm that nothing can steal away, but it's also transforming me, it's changing me to be more like Christ. I'm absorbing the Word of God, internalizing the Word of God. So what this looks like is this, Progressively, more and more, I start to see life the way Jesus sees life. And because I'm seeing life the way He sees it, I start to feel about things and feel about life and people the way He feels about them. And because of that, I start to treat life and treat people differently the way He would treat them. My will and His will start to fuse together. What's valuable and important to Him becomes valuable and important to me. What He wants done on earth, I want done on earth. There's this union of mind, union of wills, union of hearts that takes place so that truly Jesus is within me and I am within Him. We are living in heart union and this inspires me, this fills me with endless eternal energy and I start to experience the eternal life of God in this present life. All this happens when we just simply trust in Jesus and internalize the truth that He reveals to us about God and about life. So you go through these steps and here's what it produces.
it produces satisfaction when we when we start to really unite in heart and mind with Jesus it produces this tremendous inward satisfaction and it produces this energy this enthusiasm that I was talking about enthusiasm for life I know who I am I know why I'm here I know where I'm going I know what I need to do I'm excited in the good days the bad days everything in between I'm motivated and this is the kind of enthusiasm that it produces so it produces satisfaction enthusiasm and it produces development. I grow, I change, because I'm feeding on the bread of life, which is simply I'm feeding on my union of heart, mind, and will with Christ. It's a powerful transformational experience. It causes me to achieve and, and to do things that will have eternal enduring value. I, I not only develop, but I do things that are gonna last for eternity. Let me read a verse with you, uh, a verse from 2 Peter chapter um, 1, verse 3. It says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. This power was given to us through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and integrity. Notice, we are called to God by the attractiveness that God shows of himself in Jesus. It says he, he literally calls us by the beauty that he manifests in Jesus. We're drawn, in other words, we're attracted. Just think of that eating analogy again. We're drawn to Christ. And then we want to take him in and his truth in. And then we want to assimilate it and absorb it and live it out. So the verse goes on to say, The power was given to us through the knowledge by the one who called us by his own glory and integrity. It goes on to say in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says, For the full content of, divine, of the divine nature lives in Christ, in his humanity. You have been given full life in union with him. The fullness of life. I become fully human and fully alive when Jesus becomes the bread of life to me, and I am, I am feeding on Him. It's an ongoing, dynamic relationship I have with Him. Let me read that statement again. Trust initiates an unending dynamic. It's a dynamic relationship. It's a, he affects me every day, every circumstance. Trust initiates an unending, dynamic, inspirational, transformational union. It's a union with Christ. I'm not trying to just get things from Christ. I, I, my heart has been won. I, I love Him and everything about Him. I, I want His will. I want to do His will. I want to see others come to know the fullness of His grace and His love. Let me close with um, an illustration that I, that I hope will make this a little more meaningful to you. Imagine that uh, you were going to take a very long cross-country road trip. You were literally going to go from the East Coast to the West Coast, and along the way, you had eight or ten different stops that you had to make to uh, achieve some significant business endeavors. Uh, and so you have a very nice car, maybe you rented the car, you know, and it's climate controlled and it's very plush and you're enjoying the ride and you're enjoying the stops and you're stopping at your various places and the business endeavors are working out. And then finally you get to a certain part of the country where it's extraordinarily cold. Maybe you have to take a northward turn in your westward journey and you know, you're in one of the colder places. And literally outside, the temperature is, is in the, the, the single digits and the wind is slightly blowing, but inside your car, you're, you're satisfied, you're listening to some music you like, you're, you're comfortable, you're peaceful, you're having joy, you're, you're moving, you're being effective, you're accomplishing things and all is quiet and peaceful inside. 
But then all of a sudden, the red lights come up on the dashboard. And all of a sudden, you get the symbols that you're, you're out of fuel and you're out of oil simultaneously. Now everything changes. Now, instead of being insulated from what's going on outside, now you're vulnerable to everything. And now you must stop. And all of a sudden, you're no longer living in that comfortable place that you were. You are forced to go outside. And, and the only solution is you must refuel. You must get oil and you must get new energy, new fuel. Sometimes in our journey, where, and I'm talking to you that have put your trust in Christ, and maybe you've walked with Him for a lot of years, we start getting jaded. We, we, we start getting stale. We start losing our energy and our enthusiasm. We, we are no longer living that inspired life that Christ, as our bread of life, wants to give us. We are no longer experiencing that satisfaction, that spiritual, mental, emotional satisfaction that the bread of life wants us to experience. All of a sudden, the red lights are on our dashboard. We're, we're, we're getting jaded. We're getting, we're getting maybe grouchy. We're getting lethargic. We're, we're getting anxious. Maybe we're getting distracted. Things that once would have never been attractive to us are suddenly becoming attractive. Things that we would have never cared about are suddenly becoming too important, and, and we're losing our focus. We're no longer united in heart, mind, and will with Christ. We're, we're sort of veering apart from Him. His presence is no longer something that is filling us with inspiration and fullness and satisfaction. It's no longer a transformational developmental factor. We're, we're just sort of stuck, and we're in this place where it's no longer comfortable. It's no longer exciting. And, and maybe I'm describing some of you. Now, the good news is, if I am describing you, all we have to do when those red lights, and those are the signs of the red lights, when we're, when we're apathetic and we're getting lethargy and you know, we're jaded and so forth, um, the signs are, are this, that, that we are, we've lost that union with Christ that comes when we feed ourselves constantly on Him. And so all we have to do is, is carve out some time, get back to a place where we figure out where did we go wrong? What distracted us? What's draining us of that, that spiritual, inspirational energy that Christ ever gives? What's blocking it from reaching our minds and our emotions and our will and flowing out through our life like rivers of living water? We can find that. Just like oil in an, an automobile, you know, the oil is a symbol of the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God is having His way in my life and your life, do you know what the number one symbol is? You will not be thinking or talking about the Spirit of God. You will be thinking and talking about Jesus because the Spirit of God always focuses my attention, your attention on Jesus. He becomes, once again, the bread of life. He becomes the one that feeds us and satisfies us and fills us with divine inspiration that carries us through every situation in life, every circumstance in life. So I wonder, have you ever maybe experienced what it's like to have Christ as your bread of life? Or could it be I'm talking to someone that you're seeking too little from Jesus. Jesus wants to give you much. He wants to give you His whole life. He wants to give you Himself. He wants to share His mind and His will and His strategies and His pursuits and His work with you. He wants, he wants to share His feelings with you. 
but you're fixated. You, you want one or two bread blessings, we're going to call them, from Jesus. There's something better that He wants for you today, and, and it's His loving Spirit that has brought this truth to you today. I hope you will, from this day forth, for the rest of your days, you will live from the presence of Jesus. You will feed your soul diligently on Him because He is absolutely our inspirational, transformational bread of life. Let's pray, FCF. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful that uh, you have given yourself in fullness to us in the manifestation and revelation of yourself in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Particularly, Lord, when you were on that cross sacrificing yourself for us, we knew forevermore that the Almighty King of the universe is the most tender-hearted, merciful, kind, gentle, loving, sacrificially good person in the universe. You have, you have won our hearts over again and again. I pray that the person that maybe has become jaded, who has become lethargic, who's become apathetic, that this might be a day that they will have their souls refilled on you, Lord Jesus, the bread of life to our souls. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen.